Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. I'm Alice. I'm Eli. I'm Irene. And today we're talking about the lesbian activist and centenarian Ruth Ellis. We have some content warnings before we begin this episode. We'll be talking about period typical racism throughout the USA in the 20th century, especially the early 20th century. That will include mentions of race riots. We will briefly mention rape and murder, including a false accusation of rape. And we'll also mention execution. It will also include the use of outdated language for African-American people, in quotes. But otherwise, I think this should be a pretty, like chill, lighthearted, and happy episode. That we For all... these trying times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good. So most of my sources for this podcast come from interviews with Ruth herself. There is a documentary about Ruth, which I'll talk about a bit more later on. It's about an hour long, I think, which I couldn't get my hands on, unfortunately. And that includes like a lot of interview material with Ruth. But basically, I read a lot of articles that quoted this documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that I, situation. <laughs> I've and, certainly been doing that. Yeah. The same quotes were coming up again and again until I was at the point where I was like, okay, I think I've got the key content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, most of what we know about Ruth's life comes directly from Ruth's own words. Okay. One of the most simple (laughs) source-like episodes we've ever dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I have no reason to believe Ruth lies about her life, so that's it. Wow. (laughs) What are we going to talk about if the lit review doesn't take half an hour? I don't know. Is there a pronouns section? No. What have we become? Ruth's a woman. She uses she, her pronouns. She explicitly labels herself as a lesbian. All right. Well, this has been Queer as Fact. (laughs) time to, to leave. This is going to be like just a nice straightforward chat. Okay. Good, 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 good. <laughs> Which is what we need at this moment. Sure be. So Ruth Ellis was born on the 23rd of July, 1899 in Springfield, Illinois. Is that the same Springfield where the Simpsons are? The Simpsons is like notoriously not a specific Springfield. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a joke in one of the episodes or the movie even, where they're like, oh, from here you can see the four states that border Springfield, and they're from completely different oh. <laughs> America. Yeah, there are like many Springfields in America. I was going to be like, let's do a fun Queer as Fact Geography. Where's Illinois? And then I was like, oh, I don't even know where Illinois is. <laughs> Isn't that Chicago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, there. Yeah. <laughs> now well, you know, listeners. In the middle of the top. I draw them out with my hands. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, most of you are in America, so you know where Illinois is. If you don't, uh, Google where Illinois is. There's probably Americans who are like, I've wanted to know where Illinois is this whole time and I've been too scared to ask. <laughs> like, I did look it up when I was researching this, to be clear, but then, like, there was no easy way to verbally describe where it was, so I didn't write that down. So Ruth was the youngest of four children, and she was the only daughter of Charles and Carrie Ellis. Ruth described her family as, quote, a very ordinary middle-class Negro family. Both Ruth's parents had been born in the last years of slavery in Tennessee, which is a neighboring state to Illinois. Thank you. Yes. Cool. (laughs) So her father, Charles, had been born a slave. He was self-educated, and after the abolition of slavery, he went on to become Illinois' first African-American mail carrier. Like a postman? Like a postman, yeah. Cool. Like a postman. How old were her parents when slavery was abolished? I don't know exactly, I'm afraid. Okay. I don't know exactly. How how old are they when she was born? Yeah, I don't know how old they were when she was born, so I don't actually know how old they were when slavery was abolished. I think he was probably a child. Like, he was born into slavery, but it wasn't like he was a slave for a significant portion of his life. Okay. And are her parents about the same age? 
insofar as we know. As far as I know. I guess she can't be much younger. She's probably not older, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. So Charles worked as a male carrier. He did face significant prejudice in this mm. role, obviously, as the only African-American male carrier in Illinois when he started the job. So, for example, his predecessor refused to teach him the male route before they stepped down and he took on the role. So, you know, no one would show him how to do his job. So he had letters and he didn't know how to get where there. to take them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, he figured it out. So I don't know exactly how he went about that, but he figured it out. I guess he just read all the addresses and was like, I guess I'm going there. And pulled out a map and was like, okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. In August 1908, when Ruth had just turned nine, riots broke out in Springfield after the arrest of two black men, one George Richardson for the suspected rape of a white woman, and the other Joe James for the attempted rape of a white woman and the murder of a white man. So a mob of around 5,000 white people attacked black people in the area. And obviously it's hard to get exact numbers of you know mm. what they did, but they burned about 40 homes. They destroyed businesses yeah. and at least nine black residents of the Springfield area were killed. What happened to the men who were on trial? So George Richardson was acquitted because it became Because apparent. it was made up. Because it was made up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So they once they'd done some medical testing, and I think the situation was the woman who accused him had an STI that she claimed she'd caught from him because of the rape, okay. and he didn't have that STI. Okay. And oh, then right. once they did that medical test and that came out, she dropped the charges. Okay. Joe James was hanged. Oh. Do we know anything more about... Like, with some, there's a lot of cases like this, and some of them we don't really know yeah. more, and some of them we know for sure that they, that they didn't were it. made up. And I'm sure, you know, I guess probably a few of them were legitimate charges, but yeah. those are outliers. So do um, we know anything more about... From what I gathered, I didn't look into it in too much depth. Sure, because yeah. It's just kind of, I guess it's just background. Yeah. Those, but. It's not definitive that he did it, and there definitely were complicating factors to the yeah. trial. So, for example, Joe James was in his late teens or early 20s okay. when he was hanged, and there was dispute about his exact age and whether he was over the legal age to okay. receive the death penalty or not. Oh. So, like, his mum said he was 17, and I think the cut-off's 18. Yeah. And then somebody else said he was 23. He said he was 20. So there was just, like, nobody knew exactly how old he was. Yeah. So that complicated the case as well. But he was Mm. hanged. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, presumably his mother knew and said 17 to protect him. Yeah, he was saying he was 20. And, like, his mother definitely had reason to lie in that context. Sure. Yeah. 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 And that explains some of that confusion. Mm. So the National Guard was eventually called in to put down the riots. Ultimately, only one white man was convicted for what had happened. Well, either that's nonsense or he had a very busy time of it. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, he burned those 40 houses on his own. Yeah, a lot lot of people went to trial and juries just let them off. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's what happened. How did that one guy get convicted then? So he was a Jewish-Russian immigrant. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I gotcha. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know details about his life. Just different racism, that's enough. Yeah, Yeah. just just a new type of racism, basically. That's the answer. So many African-American families left the area either during this time or immediately afterwards. Mm. Ruth's family decided to stay, and Ruth remembers as a kid, being in her house during this time and her brothers and her dad were getting bricks together to 
defend their home and just to like chuck just or to chuck it yeah because that was all they had the, yeah, okay. yeah yeah and the other and the other weapon they had was her father's ceremonial sword which he owned as a member of the knights of pythias which is a kind of fraternity a bit like the masons oh okay. so he had that and that was what he was prepared to defend his i thought with. you were gonna say that that was like a mailman <laughs> thing for a second <laughs> no it was a separate thing okay. it sounds like a plausible 19th century thing to have though a ceremonial postman sword we'd be in the 20th century we're only just in the 20th century yeah no, he's just in one of those fraternities like right, the masons okay. and he has a ceremonial sword okay how big is springfield i should have asked it's about forty-seven thousand people okay it's a mostly white population okay. but like there are obviously african-american people in the town as well yeah so i would imagine that 40 homes is like quite a sizable portion of the community like the yeah yeah no yeah. i think it is and i was quite surprised because i'd read about the riots and kind of got an impression of how big the riots were i was quite surprised when it said only 40 homes and then i was thinking well i guess if there's not that many african-american families yeah like 40 homes is still a lot of homes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you did start this saying this would be a light fun episode and so far we've had a race riot yeah okay from here on out it's light and fun that was right, that right. was as dark as it gets that was right. an outlier yeah. Not <laughs> now, oh, we're going to talk a bit about the racism that Ruth experienced at school, I guess. Alrighty. Yeah, right. sorry. Maybe it's not as light and fun as advertised. Adult life is nice. So Ruth's parents obviously valued education very highly, and Ruth and her three older brothers all went to and graduated from high school. Nice. At a time when only about 5% of high school graduates were black, so this was quite unusual. Hmm. And her brothers also went on to college after high school. Presumably, like, especially unusual for Ruth, then. Yeah, especially as a black woman, yeah. 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 I'm glad that their parents are, like, from the small information I have, seem to be, like, good and supportive. Yeah, yeah. Because you would really need a good family unit in these times. Yeah. Yeah, she was very close to her mum. She describes her dad as being sort of, like, quite strict and she didn't feel as close to him, but, like, she doesn't talk negatively about him, really. It's just that was the relationships they had. Mm. Is she close to her siblings? know that much about her relationship with her siblings later on she will move to detroit and the reason she moves to detroit is because one of her brothers is living there and right stone says there's pretty good work in detroit and so okay. she moves there so so she's pretty good that close. like yeah, yeah. okay cool. but yeah they don't feature massively in what i've heard about her life but like they're around they talk do you know what they study in college no i'm not actually sure okay. i don't know despite completing her high school education ruth didn't enjoy it we're relatable, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she attended an integrated school, but she was one of the very few black students in her school. And so she generally didn't want to speak up in class because she didn't want to draw attention to herself mm. and she didn't really have any friends in her class. And she was generally just kind of ignored by her classmates. Yeah. She said herself of that experience... I didn't have much of a childhood. On top of that, she also struggled with reading, so she wasn't sort of academically inclined in that way. Do you mean, like, did you have, like, dyslexia or something like that, or she just didn't like to read? I think it's just that it wasn't something that, like, naturally, like, she wasn't, like, a really good reader. Okay. Yeah, like, I don't know if she had any learning difficulties or if she just, like, didn't enjoy reading. Wasn't inclined. Yeah. She obviously had a good memory and could read reasonably well because to pass her latin exams she used to sneak into her father's study and take his english translations of the passages she knew would come up in the exams uh, <laughs> cram those and just churn oh that is relatable I, was about to say, I remember you doing that yeah we have done this <laughs> the most relatable career we've ever had <laughs> oh boy yep i love her 
Yeah. One of the few people who did pay any attention to Ruth at school was her white gym teacher, a woman named Grace. So Ruth remembers that when the other girls would refuse to hold her hand in PE because she was black, she would have to be partnered with the teacher and hold the teacher's hand. Hmm. And uh, this was the beginning of her first lesbian crush. Aww. Yeah, it was kind of like it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, that's where that was heading. So when she was in her mid-teens, about 16, she had a crush on her gym teacher. At the time, Ruth says, I didn't know anything about lesbians. Everything was hush-hush. But this was when she first started to yeah, think about that. Figure out something about lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm um, glad that she had a teacher who was kind of a decent human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah at least there was at one. At least, like, that low bar is crossed by one person. Yeah, I don't know how the other teachers treated her, yeah. really. Like, she doesn't talk about them, like, actively targeting her or anything, but it seems that she was just like, I'm not going to speak up and you're going to ignore me and that's how we're going to get through this. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So, in terms of, like, sex ed about lesbianism or about anything um yeah yeah okay <laughs> what was that so her mother who she was very close to passed away when ruth was about 12 oh. and ruth says my mother died just about the time i started menstruating so she showed me that but from then on nobody told me anything oh. i'm glad that she got that at least i mean how <laughs> awful true. would it be to be a young girl whose mother's just died and then to get your period and not know what it is. Yeah, and, like, yeah. you just have a father and three older brothers, like... Yeah. And yeah. no friends at school. Yeah. That would be hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so... So, I mean, I'm glad that that sequence of events happened and the order it did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, her father's method of educating her in terms of sex ed was that he found, you know, a women's sex ed book and he just left it on the table in his study, knowing that Ruth went into oh. his study and stole his books. <laughs> So she went in, she found it on the table, she read it, and then she says, When you thought I'd seen enough of it, the book disappeared. <laughs> so that was her sex uh, ed. That's kind of nice. He doesn't think to leave it on her bedside table. He's just like, I'll put it in my study, and I know she'll steal it. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, like, he handled that pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I know people whose parents did their sex ed like that today. Yeah, that I definitely true, yeah. know people whose parents just, like, started leaving books about puberty lying around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that still happens. My parents did nothing. Not even books about Absolutely puberty. nothing. No. I don't remember. Like, I think we always had those books, like, lying around yeah, the house Yeah, we anyway, had, like... we have a lot of books. And I forget what it was called, but Every it was like... A, yeah, I was going to say, it was like a how-to-do woman puberty book from, like, 1972. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was what we had. That's what we had. When I did, I like read this about Ruth's experience. I was like, "What was in that kind of book in nineteen? Yeah. Like, this would have been about nineteen fifteen. Yeah, I'm surprised that there was something to give her. To yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I don't know what would have been in that book, but uh, she read that book. There probably weren't many of those books out there. We could probably find out which one <laughs> she likely got. True. What was the like women's sex ed book in 1915 in Illinois? specifically sex ed or was it more of a sort of puberty focused unit? Because mm. I feel like sex ed kind of like allows for the fact that the audience will be having sex. Yeah, that's true. That's mm. true. Yeah. Which is presumably discouraged at this time for teenage girls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she says the book was about like women and like women's anatomy and that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it could be anything, I guess. Yeah. I don't really know exactly what its focus was, but that was the book that she read. Okay. I'm glad that's she got something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably a lot of women in that time got nothing. Yeah. The weird thing here is the fact that he took it away after a while. He was like, I think she's probably read this by now. I'm going to get it out of here. <laughs> she won't ever want to refer to this again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. 
I wonder where he got it. Like, did he buy it? Did he borrow it from a friend? Did he, like, hide it after that or return it? Like, what happened? Return it. <laughs> yeah, just, like, every dad in the area is like, please put this somewhere your daughter might find it. In three yeah. months, it goes to the next person. Maybe that's why he took it away. <laughs> it was the next yeah, dad. Yeah, <laughs> the next dad needed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in terms of education about lesbianism, oh yeah, Ruth similarly turned to books. So she began researching psychology books. She did start kind of seeking people who could tell her about this kind of stuff. So she said, for example, she sought out friendships with sex workers to try oh, okay. and learn about sex. She does say that they wouldn't tell her anything either, which, like, mm. but good, good on her, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like, what a bold and curious person. Yeah, yeah. So despite the fact that, like, there was no conversation about lesbianism and she had to seek out all her own education, Ruth says, quote, I never thought about hiding who I was. I guess I didn't go around telling everybody I was a lesbian, but I wasn't lying about it either. If anyone asked me, I'd tell them the truth. But it wasn't the sort of thing people talked about much. Ruth just sounds so bold. Yeah. yeah. Like, if yeah. someone was like, Ruth, you going out with a man? She would have been like, no, I'm a lesbian. Yeah. And Does it was she... like 1918. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does she have the word lesbian? So most of the interviews with her were done much later in her life. Obviously, she particularly became very famous when she reached 100. I love her. Because she was a 100-year-old lesbian. That's great. Hell yeah. And yeah. also when the millennium ticked over and she'd been alive in three centuries. Yeah. That's just... What a legend. <laughs> ah! <laughs> the listeners don't know this, but this is a goal I have. <laughs> And so, like, I will study her ways. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, you can keep a tab throughout the episode if anything comes up and you're right. like that. I'll that take notes. Her live long. Yeah. She's like, I ate porridge every morning. I'll be like, porridge every morning. <laughs> She'll be like, and I was super gay. And I'll be like, super gay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so far, like, she reads a lot. She's, like, very... She, like... Super gay. Semi-cheats at her Latin exams. Yeah, and she's yeah. super right, gay. I got this. You're yeah, on track, cool. yeah. I'm on track. I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still be putting these episodes out in 2100. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, she did also get lucky in that she was born in 1899, which yeah. is, like, That's okay. Eli has to do, like, five extra years. Yeah, yeah I was born yeah. 94. Yeah, yeah, like, you're pretty lucky. In like, 1894, God. to be clear. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you mean four centuries. Five, I do. Five, five. <laughs> not four. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that there was, like, an extra tiny century in the middle. <laughs> you know how people debate, like, is 2000 the last year of the old century or the first year of the new century? No, it's its own century. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that is what I will start saying to people who are pedantic about that kind of thing. I'll be like, what are you talking about? It's a, it's a century just in that one year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Ruth is very open about being a lesbian and she generally says that throughout her life it didn't cause her many problems. When she was asked about it, she's like, my race has been a much bigger deal than my sexuality. Okay. Yeah. And her father and her brothers apparently knew she was queer too. Like, she was quite open about it in her home as a teen. Although he never came out, she also suspects that her older brother, also called Charles, was gay. Hmm. Okay. I hope Charles was happy. I hope so. Like, even if he wasn't gay, he was happy. <laughs> but I hope he yeah. could be happy about his gayness if yeah. he had it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to skip back a second, because I don't think you answered Eli's question about what word she used at the time. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I derailed it. But yeah, anyway. no, yeah. we just derailed it more. Yeah. Yeah, so most of the interviews with her are done when she's, like, 99, 100, 101. Yeah. And obviously she has the word lesbian then. Yeah. Because that's the word that people were using yeah. then. Yeah. And I think when you're 101, you've heard most words. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I don't know what word she was using okay. as a teen. Okay, yeah. Yeah. She would have had words. It wouldn't probably have been lesbian, but I don't know. Hmm. So 
Ruth actually believes that her father was quite happy that she was a lesbian and preferred she'd be a lesbian because he didn't have to worry about her getting pregnant. Okay. okay. Yeah. Which, like, I guess makes yeah. sense in a way. Which I guess maybe hints a bit at what kind of stuff would have been in that sex ed book. I yeah. Said, like, don't get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the only trouble that she ever says she had with her father regarding her sexuality was once when she had a girlfriend over and they, quote, made a little too much noise. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he said to them, if you make that much noise again, I'll throw you out. But the way she tells the story sounds like it was, like, not a genuine threat. Uh, Yeah. impression I had. So her family really is fine with it if she's loudly having sex with her girlfriend upstairs and they're just like, ah, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> That's have a talk with her. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> sex more. She's amazing. <laughs> loud sex. <laughs> Underline loud. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> So Ruth finished high school in 1919. Wow. So wait, is Ruth just having like a bunch of girlfriends? Yeah, like when she tells the story about having her girlfriend over and making too much noise, she doesn't like mention a specific girlfriend. She says, oh yeah, I used to have girlfriends over and one time we made too much noise. But she didn't have friends. I think, yeah, I don't know. Who are these I don't know. Girls. I don't know. Okay. She didn't have friends, like, in school, but maybe oh, okay. she had friends. Like, because her school was mostly white, but maybe yeah, she had yeah. friends outside of school, okay. I guess. Yeah. So, do we know, is she dating mostly other black girls? Yes, they would have been black girls, because, like, later in life, we'll talk about she makes friends with a white lesbian, and she's like, this is the first time I've ever had a white friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like... When she's younger, and from most of her, well, I was going to say most of her life, because I was like, I'm used to saying most of someone's life if it gets to like 60 or something. And I was like, no, she lives to 100. (laughs) (laughs) For until she's in her, I think, 60s or 70s, we'll check the exact year when we get up to it. She has an exclusively black social cycle. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's not surprising given everything we've heard about how awful her like white peers are. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it would have been other black girls, and I don't know anything about them, and none of them was like a long term yeah. girlfriend. I wonder if the like African American community in Springfield, Illinois, in this time is just like pretty cool with lesbianism generally. Yeah, I mean the, the fact that she talks about like her dad being quite happy with it because she wasn't going to get pregnant, like yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And there might have been that understanding that you know we have encountered in many other places in this podcast that like oh yeah girls can do this when they're young and maybe they'll grow yeah, up and maybe. get married but like this is actually a better thing to do when you're lo- young yeah you don't have to worry about getting pregnant or anything uh, yeah that like lesbianism is a cool thing that teen girls do they'll grow out of it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah there's also just like in some areas and I don't want to say specifics but there are definitely times in the early 20th century where people are more chill about those things than they are like a couple decades later. Yeah. I mean, like, we should never picture it as just, like, a continuous upward yeah, trajectory yeah, exactly. of becoming more accepting. And, like, we talked about this in the Sam Stewart episode a little bit about mm. how, like, once you get post-World War II and get into the 50s, there's this, like, yeah. sharp turn for yeah. what life is like for mm. queer people in the States. Yeah, I was also going to say, and I don't know how much this is true in an American context, but in an Australian context, up until the Depression, things were kind of getting increasingly liberal and increasingly accepting of these various behaviors for like women and then when the depression came it was much more like no women should be in their homes marrying men men should be going out and having jobs Mm. because there weren't enough jobs for women and so women lost a lot of the freedom that they'd been gaining yeah yeah but i guess i was wondering specifically if there are like observable 
different social attitudes in African-American communities than in, like, white communities. Yeah. I think there would be, but I don't know. What what kinds of differences, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we will talk a little bit later on about the difference between, like, the black queer social scene and the white queer social scene. Okay. But in terms of, like, general society, I don't know. Yeah, so Ruth finished high school in 1919, and she started training as a printer in a local print shop in Springfield. Mm -hmm. Sometime in her 20s or possibly early 30s, and I read varying dates for this, so I don't really know, she met a woman named Cecilene Franklin, who was known as Babe. (laughs) Hi, everyone or just Ruth? (laughs) I mean, I feel like we only know about Cecilene from Ruth. So maybe just maybe Ruth. just Ruth. <laughs> and through miscommunication, she's being remembered as Babe. Yeah. <laughs> Known as Cecilene or my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Babe was interested in a relationship with Ruth. Okay. But she was 10 years younger than Ruth, so Ruth was quite apprehensive about entering into a relationship with her. So she's in her early 20s or early 30s, Ruth? Well, she's in her 20s or 30s. I just oh, okay, don't know okay. how old she was All right. at this time. I was um, going to say, she's not 10, is she? <laughs> no. So they, okay. they moved to, as I mentioned before, Ruth's brother was living in Detroit and he wrote to her from Detroit and said there's good work in Detroit. And so Ruth and Babe moved together to Detroit in okay. 1937. So Ruth would have been 38 and Babe would have been 28. And okay. that's the first time that I like definitively know that right. Ruth had agreed to be in a relationship okay. with her when they moved well, together. Well, by that point, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. fine. But I depending don't. Depending on the individuals, and I'm inclined to trust Ruth. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't actually know at what point they yeah. met. Yeah. Like, if Babe was 19 or something, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, her being reluctant and then Babe being nearly 30 seems to make that, like. Well, yeah. 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 Right. I don't think she was like, I'm reluctant because Babe is a child. I think she was like, I'm reluctant because, yeah. like, age difference is a big age thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so the two of them moved to Detroit together, which is in Michigan. Yes, it is, yes. I always imagine Detroit, like, somewhere towards the east. Yeah-ish bit. You know where the lakes are? Yeah. That's Michigan. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. I knew because Lake Michigan is a lake. <laughs> <laughs> lake Michigan is a lake. <laughs> so she lives in Detroit. If any Americans are cramming for their high school geography tests, the Australians are here to help you out. <laughs> it's a lake. It's kind of towards the east-ish, maybe. <laughs> you're welcome. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so when Ruth and Babe first arrived in Detroit, Babe worked as a cook while Ruth worked as a nanny. Ruth then eventually moved on from her nannying job to a job as a printer. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Working, as intended. Yeah, as intended. Like, it's what she's trained as, yeah. Working for a press called Waterfield and Heath. She then came into some money from an inheritance, and I'm not sure exactly who in her family the inheritance was from. And she left Waterfield and Heath and opened her own printing shop. Oh, cool. Nice. Nice. Good job, Ruth. She says about it, like, I was working for this other guy. And then I was like, why shouldn't I be doing that for me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good question, Ruth. She was apparently the first woman in Michigan to run her own printing shop. So that's pretty cool. Cool. Is it a big deal that she's also a black woman? Like, are there many Um, African-American owned printing businesses or? I'm not sure. Like, the one she worked for in Illinois... Yeah. In Springfield was an African-American owned one. Okay. And I assume that Waterfield and Heath was African-American based on the fact that she just does not seem to have interacted with white people. Okay, yeah. Right. A bunch yeah. at this time in her life. So, like, I'd say they were around, yeah. Okay. And the printing she does is things like church flyers and those kinds of oh, things. Okay. And I assume it's for, like, black churches. Sure, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, by this time, she and Babe had bought a house together. Oh, oh nice. It's going super well. Yeah. I told you this was a nice episode. Like, we yeah. started with all the racism, but, like, we've moved on from that now, and it's just nice. So, <laughs> they called the shop Alice and Franklin Printing, and they ran it out of the front room of the house. Oh, nice. Yeah. So good. I love it this. It's great. 
Look, there's just not a lot of wholesome stuff around these days. It's true, it's true. Here's some wholesome content. So Babe and Ruth were quite, like, different people. Ruth liked to go to concerts. She regularly went to church. She enjoyed photography and painting, while Babe preferred to drink and gamble and go out to bars. So Babe was much more extroverted. Ruth stayed home and did crafts. But also um, go to concerts and to church. Yeah, yeah. No, she also like when you said that, I, that's true. I assumed that Ruth was going to be the outgoing one. Yeah, me too. No, I guess they're just outgoing to different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Babe was also the one who was like handy around the house and would do like repairs and renovations and stuff. Mm. And Ruth says, you know, Babe would do that while I would watch and uh, play with the dogs. <laughs> oh, nice. There's dogs. Tell me more right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is key content. They've got a sausage shoulder. Oh, hell yeah. And take more notes. It's out of up to 100. Okay, okay. Get some dogs. Good. <laughs> And they also have a French poodle. Oh my gosh. I don't know the dog's names. I'm oh, really no. sorry. I'll let you both There's a very down. like comical selection of dogs, so good job to them. Yeah. yeah. Like they could very easily <laughs> be Imagine like... Imagine taking those on a walk together. <laughs> yeah. Be like a cartoon about like this nice lesbian couple and their print shop and their two comical dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they're like really opposite people. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, this just writes itself. It does. It does. It's great. So in spite of their differences, they lived together for over 30 years and Aww. Ruth describes Babe as her one real girlfriend. So this is Aww. the only like long-term relationship yeah. we know about in her life. That's so long to be mm. dating someone. Yeah. I mean, speak. at the point where you're like living together, it's more like that they're married functionally. Yeah. But it's yeah. still a long time well, to be married. Like, yeah. It's a long time to do anything. It yeah. Really is. It's just a long Imagine time. Imagine if there's something you're doing right now, which will, you, you will be doing in 30 years. Well, we're going to be doing Queer as Fact when Eli's 106. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Do you think there'll even be podcasts in the year 2100? Like, we'll you'll probably be like hollow broadcasting brain. or something. <laughs> I hope that I'm just, like, it's still just this technology, but I'm doing it like on Mars or something. Oh, yeah. yeah Ideally, yeah. thank you. It's just like exactly the same down to the cardboard box, but on Mars. We're in space. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sounds good. In the mid-20th century, which is kind of the time that we're in now, the gay bar scene, as well as obviously being underground, because it was kind of illegal, was very segregated in terms of race, and it was quite racist. Yeah. So black queer people generally socialized at house parties in their okay. homes. Yeah. And Ruth and Babe's house became like quite a center for these parties and a center for the black gay community in their area. I mean, I imagine that the sausage dog and the poodle were a draw card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you really have to get lucky to, like, know someone to really yeah. find community as a black queer person at this time. Yeah, yeah. You really yeah. have to know someone, yeah. I guess that's, like, we, we talked about with the gay bars, you kind of have to know someone to even get in. Yeah, so I yeah, guess yeah. that's just kind of how being gay is. But, yeah, like, yeah. that's how being yeah. gay is at that time. You have to find someone and then both be, like, game to admit that you're gay. Yes. And then you can have a social life. <laughs> Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so they'd hold a lot of parties at their house on weekends. They'd also open up their home to young black queer people who needed somewhere to stay. Nice, nice. And they even supported some through college and helped pay oh for their God. books and their food and tuition and stuff like that. So they're just so financially good. doing great. Yeah, they're just doing well. Like, yeah, nice. I don't know if it's that the printing shop is doing great or if like, the inheritance, inheritance was vast. quite good or what's happening, but like, yeah, yeah they're doing great. They good. have enough money to support themselves and other people who need it. They're this is so lovely. House. Yeah. <laughs> So in the 1960s, Babe moved out of their house and to somewhere closer to her job. I'm not clear whether she and Ruth broke up at this point or whether it was just, you know, a matter of convenience convenience in terms of where she wanted to live. So Babe obviously had another job as well as this printing business. Um, What is it? I don't know. Okay. She did work as a cook originally when they moved to Detroit, so she may also be still doing that. Okay. I'm not sure. So some articles I read said they stayed together and some said they didn't. 
So when you um, say articles you read. Yeah, so they're generally just like online articles okay. that have a lot of quotes from interviews with friends right. and just talk about her life. Yeah. So the problem about those is that they make things up. Yeah, they, well, they do absolutely do. I've read some weird things about yeah. Shah Hussein. Okie dokie. <laughs> Yeah, like I. No one like, is even clear what his name is. Okie dokie. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, like I understand why you're using it as a source in this case, and yeah. obviously that's fine, but like generally I do not do that. Yeah. It's absolutely avoidable. Because yeah. they will yeah. 100% just make things up wholesale. Yeah, and I did read, and that was the same thing with like when did she and Babe meet? They were just like yeah. ran wildly different yeah. things thrown around. Yeah. So Ruth said about this we went our separate ways, but we stayed together over 30 years. That's what I want these girls to do now instead of breaking up after two or three months. All right, Ruth. Yeah. But yeah, like Ruth says we went our separate ways. That sounds like a break. I think they broke up. They definitely stayed friends. They still had keys to each other's houses. They still like, yeah, talked and saw each other. Yeah. But it seems like they weren't romantically together anymore. Okay. And um, more loud noises in the print shop. (laughs) (laughs) They did rent out. It was kind of like a double fronted house, like a kind of double house. Okay. And they did rent out half of it to another man. So, like, they weren't the only people in the house. Maybe other people were still being subjected to the loud noises. I guess a printing press is fairly loud. That's true, too. You can, like, yeah. run the press while <laughs> Every you time they want to, yeah, hook up, they're like, quickly put the printing press on. The housemate is like, why do they always put the printing press on at, like, 10 p.m. at night? <laughs> yeah. He was also a gay man. No, oh, right. they went so it's like, I see where they're putting the printing press on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably. <laughs> Maybe sometimes he, he like, them. comes and knocks and he's like, you guys put the press on. <laughs> I don't know how to print some emergency pamphlets right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Babe eventually passed away from a heart attack in 1973. Hmm. After Babe moved out, Ruth also moved out. She um, must have been quite young to have a heart attack at that time. Well, she's 10 years younger than Ruth, so she would have been in her 60s when yeah, she died. Yeah. yeah. So, like, that is quite young. Yeah. Yeah, so Ruth moved out into, like, a senior's village-type place. Oh, okay. I don't know exactly. Like, I read various things about what it was she was living in, and what I could gather was it was kind of a retirement village situation. Yeah. Okay. Like, she's still very active and very mobile and yeah. doesn't really need caring yeah. for, but she's... Just in a like yeah, it's sort good of to have a like living thing, yeah. yeah, community around you at that stage in your life that you can kind of depend on more than just like the general community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's true. Yeah, grandparents on both sides of my family who've moved into those and they seem to be mm-hmm. having like a wild time. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Old people have great times in those. I talk yeah, to them yeah, on the yeah. phone at work sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Ruth described it as the happiest time of her life. Like she yeah. had a great time. My um, grandma, who was in one in Queensland, was telling me about all the like cocktail nights and the cocktails. Called like six dollars and stuff because all the food yeah. is really cheap they're like yeah we have roast night it's 850 or whatever yeah yeah and i was just like you go to more cocktail events than i do by like a wide margin <laughs> i definitely aspire Great. for like when i'm elderly for me to be like this is the happiest time of my yeah. life yeah. Like, i would like yeah. my life to be like on an upwards trend throughout yeah well i think yeah. ruth definitely was that's so yeah. good yeah so i hope they have like queer retirement villages by the time they do I'm... okay do they there is one, I forget in where, America, but I read, yeah. I read about this somewhere. There is at least one of these. Mm. Okay, because I know it's like a big problem of like yeah, elderly for, people going yeah. back in the closet when they go into these yeah. kind of places. Yeah. yeah. 
So is Ruth still just like an out lesbian at this retirement? Ruth is an out lesbian for her entire life. That's great. I love her. That's so She's good. just like that. Yeah, so Ruth has a great time in retirement. She takes up a whole lot of new hobbies. She nice. plays pool. She takes yoga classes. She's always played the piano and done painting and photography, and she keeps those up. She does bowling. She loves dancing. She <laughs> well, has a great my time. <laughs> um, she's still quite like young and mobile. I guess she's in her 60s, but she's like quite like mobile yeah. and healthy, and so she also like kind of looks after the other nice. elderly people around her and like does errands for them and does their grocery shopping and stuff she's cool. just so good frankly yeah she's, she's great yeah, I love her. she's great just having a great time it's very good so when Ruth was 79 she was taking a self defense class at her senior <laughs> centre <laughs> yes <laughs> So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The instructor was a woman named Jay Spiro. Oh, is she about to get some? <laughs> she does. It's not like she never slept with anyone after bed. She talked to a uni once when she was about 100, 101, yeah. yes. and she like just explicitly mentioned that she had having sex at 95, and it was great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And that's just like, there's a recording of it, there's just like awkward laughter in the lecture theater. <laughs> what a hero. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, she met Jay Spiro, who she's not going to get in a relationship yeah. with. I imagine if um, I make it to 95, I'll mostly just be, like, reading books sitting down. Yeah, no, I mean? she's very active. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. So, she says that based on Jay's fashion sense, she correctly guessed that Jay was a <laughs> <laughs> Good. I don't know what Jay was wearing that day. Whatever it was, it was clearly very fashionable. Gays always are. Yeah. But she sent Jay a valentine asking her to dinner. Oh my gosh. So and, she is going to get some. Well, they became friends. And I okay. don't know if when Ruth sent her the mail. And Jay is like quite a bit younger than okay. Ruth. Okay. I think she's in about her 40s. Yeah, but. Yeah. And I don't know if Ruth sent the Valentine being like, I'll see how this goes. Maybe something will happen. Or if she just sent the Valentine being like, hey, fellow lesbian, let's get dinner. Yeah. Like if it was just like a friend Valentine. I do like that kind of like shortcut to at least like acquaintancehood that you can kind of yeah, do. Like, yeah. like, hello, fellow gays. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she became good friends with Jay, and this, she says, was the first interracial friendship of her life. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And Jay introduced Ruth to her own younger lesbian social circle. Yeah. So Ruth got all these new younger lesbian friends as well. Oh, cool. I bet they just loved her. Yeah. They did love her. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like, there's a lot of, like, queer people who are looking for older queer role models because they don't really exist. So, like, yeah. they were really happy to have her around. Mm. Ruth had a great relationship with these women. She had a reputation for, like, wearing out younger partners at dances. <laughs> she didn't really <laughs> at want dances, dances. okay, yeah. right. <laughs> at dances. <laughs> One of Jay's friends lived in, like, a share house with a bunch of other lesbians, and they set up a room for Ruth in the share house so she could come and stay when she wanted to. If she wanted to go into state or anything, they'd organize that for her and drive her where she needed to go and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Which is very nice. That's good. I'm glad that she has people. You know, older people can sometimes become isolated. Ruth's not doing that. Yeah, she's just not doing that at all. Do you know what is happening with her family by this point? Like, I assume her father's passed away, but her brother's... Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I really don't know. Okay. I mean, she's 79. Like, her older brothers. Yeah, and all her... she was the youngest of her siblings. Yeah, but they could be, like, three years older. I mean, and a lot of the time, like, longevity is genetic as well. Oh, yeah, okay. it's true. Yeah, I don't know what became of Ruth's brothers. By the time she died, she didn't have any living family. Oh, well, yeah, that's... But she was 101 when she yeah. died. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that. As Ruth grew older and through these like younger connections she began to be recognized more and more as like a treasure to the lesbian community and as like someone who should really really be valued yeah which is very good yeah 
We should treasure our old people. Hmm. We should. We should. Especially, like, old <laughs> queer people, because a lot of them don't have, like, mm, children and grandchildren family, yeah. to look after them. There are programs for that, I believe, in Melbourne to yeah, go and yeah, visit yeah. older queer people in, like, yeah. care facilities yeah. and so forth who, like, don't really have anyone. Yeah, no, there are. There are. Which is good. That is good. I'm glad that's happening. So, yeah, she started speaking publicly at various events about her life as a very very old lesbian basically what did she have to say i'm sure that it would be worth hearing her speak but she's just kind of like i'm old and also gay <laughs> you know it's not like talking about your job or anything like that yeah you can kind of talk about your path like it's i, I mean know. to some extent i think it is just like valuable for people in the queer community if you go and hear a talk and somebody is basically like yeah in 1930 we were th- gay this is how in 1950 was- we continued to yeah. be gay yeah but just like yeah. hearing about how people like socialized yeah within yeah. the queer community and that kind of thing at that time yeah she also did like the one of her talks that i did listen to a recording of which is that one i mentioned where she's talking about having sex in 95 <laughs> she was talking to like a like they were training to be like social workers i think in a union they were kind of asking like what do older people need and what should we be thinking about when we're working with older people so she was also just talking about like Oh, yeah. Being old and... Okay, yeah. yeah and you know. supporting that part of the community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So, like, that kind of Good. stuff. Who's yeah. she having sex with at 95? Do we know? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I just wonder if she's just, like, constantly still having girlfriends or, like, <laughs> what's going on here. Yeah, I don't I don't know. She was part of, like, an older lesbian pen pal club. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's so cool. Everything friends. that I happens is a, just so cool. I want to be in a lesbian pen pal club, right? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're pretty well set up to... We establish said, a queer pen pal club. Yeah, we, yeah, we saw that, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can set this up very easily through Careers Factor. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, listeners, right, if you want a pen pal. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, also, like, yeah, like, would people want to post us, like, real physical letters? Because we'll post you letters back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We could set up a PO box. I don't know. Let us know if you'd be interested in this, or we'll maybe do something. We'll make a PO box. I feel like we all could just kind of maybe use queer mail yeah. at the moment yeah yeah, yeah. yeah right. it would be very exciting we'll consider um, this send us your thoughts and I feel interest. like my job is going to be closed tomorrow so I'm going to have a lot of time yeah, my job isn't yeah. going to close because I work in the healthcare sector everyone so pray <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this episode isn't coming out for a while so who knows what's going on in our lives by the time it comes out we're recording this on the 22nd of March so who knows if we have a civilization anymore when you're listening to this yeah I hope things are looking okay in April yeah so anyway she was a member of this lesbian pen pal club called Gold Golden Threads for Older Lesbians. Hmm. Her profile in their newsletter, like, it doesn't not read like a dating profile, so I think this may have been one way. I see, I see, I see. So this is when she was 99. Oh, oh great. Let's hear it. <laughs> Age 99, Negro, 4 foot 11. 4 oh, foot 11! So small. Yeah, she's tiny. <laughs> ah. 115 pounds, finished high school in Springfield, Illinois. Like to dance, like bowling and classical music. Mild temperament, not married. Old-fashioned, do not drink or smoke. Like to receive mail, never too old to love. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love her. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. So, yeah, as she approached her 100th birthday, she was recognized around the USA as the country's oldest out lesbian. I don't know whether this is factually correct, but nobody ever disputed that claim, so... Uh, It'd be pretty great if there was a 101-year-old out lesbian who was like, like, how dare you? Yeah, and like, started off, like, to the paper. a furious rivalry about being old and, <laughs> and then they fell in Imagine love. Imagine they fell in love, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so, yeah, it was at this point that there were a bunch of articles in magazines around the country on her. She turned down a chance to appear on Oprah... 
Why? I think because she was just like quite elderly by okay. that point. And, and like, she was like, that's a bit much. Yeah, it was just a bit that's much fair. at that point. Like she was also thinking of going over to France. And I think she had been invited for some opportunity there. And she was like, no, I don't want to travel overseas. Yeah, so, yeah that's fair. Yeah, she's 101. Yeah, yeah. Like she's 101. I mean, I feel like at that point, Oprah could have come to her, frankly. Yeah, that's yeah. True. Come on, Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hard for her to get around, but she became very famous and was interviewed a fair bit. When asked how she wanted to celebrate her 100th birthday, Ruth responded, party all day. In fact, I think I'm going to party for two or three days. Why not? I'm going to have all kinds of people at my party, gay and straight. I think sometimes now there is a bit too much separation. I love all kinds of people and I'm going to dance for days. On her 100th birthday, she led the San Francisco Dyke March. Oh, wow. Where she was sung Happy Birthday by the March. Oh, my God. You imagine how cool that would be for her? She's like, yes, I am queen of the lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) I could tell them to do anything. Let's march into battle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's that same year as well that that documentary I mentioned was made about her by a black filmmaker called Yvonne Weldon. Mm-hmm. You can get your hands on it. It's called Living with Pride, Ruth C. Ellis at 100. I would recommend you watch it, even though I haven't, because like, it's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, please watch it if you can and tell me what you learned. Transcribe it before and send it to us. I was like frantically Googling like transcription of this. Because yeah. like there was one other, I don't know, I did an episode once before where I like could not get the documentary, yeah. but I could get the transcription. Oh, okay. And it's I was like, weird, I guess frankly. this is how we're doing this. You can download like a SRT file of the subtitles and just watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that boosted her profile around the country even more. She received a lot of fan mail from a lot of other black lesbians, sort of just thanking her for being so open about who she was and mm-hmm. talking about being a lesbian a bunch. Mm-hmm. Just like letters that are like, dear Ruth, you're definitely a 100-year-old black lesbian and I love that about you. <laughs> yeah, that's basically like, good on you. And also like asking her for advice on like being a black lesbian. Oh, yeah. 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 When Ruth was 100, she officially opened the Ruth Ellis Center in Detroit, which provides a lot of support for queer youth in Detroit, especially things like housing for homeless queer youth and support for trans youth in, like, getting through name changes and oh, dealing good. with life. Nice. Dealing with life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, dealing with life. I'm into that. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Ruth passed away in October 2000, age 101, in her home surrounded by her friends. Oh. So she'd been unwell and been to hospital, and then she said, no, I want to die at home. So she yeah. came back home, and all her friends came over. Oh, that sounds like fitting for how she yeah. lived her life. Yeah, yeah. One of her final wishes was to have a message recorded on her answering machine saying that she loved everyone. Oh, Aww. my God! <laughs> right! <laughs> I would be so sad if I rang her, though. Yeah. I just want to read a one final quote from Ruth to finish off. Just kind of about how she was just so open about who she was. She said, tell your story. Let everyone know. There's a lot of history that's being unknown because people won't talk about this life. So I think it's important that you talk about your life. Well, Well, we're certainly talking about being queer. We're talking about her life. I thought that was pertinent to this podcast. Yeah. I thought I'd read that out. When we die in 2100s. Someone yeah. can carry the torch and do an episode on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was very wholesome. It was, it was very I wholesome. I think the nice wholesome story we all need yeah. right now. Mm. Yeah. Especially I remember we did Sam Stewart 
And I was concerned because he seemed very isolated. It was like he had a yeah. huge amount of sex, but he had like no social no connections. Really. Yeah. 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 And I'm glad that she is like the reverse person, but yeah. also she's having sex. Yeah. So like, not really the reverse person. She's still person. having sex, but like, yeah. she also just has like a lot of friends around her. Yeah. Mm. Around yeah. her life. And I think it's worth noting as well that Sam Stewart's uh, social isolation was partly by choice, partly yeah. engineered by him because of his like problems with the emerging gay community yeah. so like it's not something that is an objective fact of like gay male life in 20th century America. yeah yeah mm. i also just think it's like it's very good to hear just as a human who's going to get old eventually yeah it's very good to hear that, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like people keep doing things yeah now. like you just don't see enough yeah. of people yeah. like living when they're old and often we kind of do episodes where we talk about their like youth a lot and then we talk about their like adulthood to like 40 or something a lot and then it's kind of just like and then they kind of just kept doing that and then they stopped doing that and then they died yeah 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 Yeah. and like this isn't that at all like she did so much in retirement after 60 i also like that like she's not famous for anything in particular she just lived her life (laughs) A lot. Yeah, we've had a couple of episodes like that where she's like, "It's just a person." They were gay. They were like pretty great, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like she was obviously like a wonderful woman. Mm. Like she helped kids through college. Yeah. Yeah, what groceries but for her elderly think, friends. But that like, doesn't like, make you famous. Like, supporting your community doesn't make yeah, you a celebrity. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Similarly to Sam Stewart, like, it's just a just a person with, like, yeah. average human achievements. And I think that's something really good about queer history, actually, is that it lends us to talking about those people because they're sort of, yeah. like, valuable to us just because of that connection. Yeah, Where in true. more general history, you don't really talk about, like, specific individuals as commonly unless yeah. they are that kind of, like, great person figure. Yeah. Like, like not never, but hmm, it's, yeah. it's, like, there's it's less of like a... It's not, like, mainstream history thing to do. No, yeah, there's less yeah. of a drive there to do it. Um, yeah. So it's quite nice when we do it here. Hmm, like, for most people who live to 101, the only person who's ever going to have that much interest in your life story is, like, your grandkids. I mean, if you're lucky. And yeah, 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 yeah. So it's good that thousands of people are now going to hear about Ruth's life. And already have, too. Because yeah. Of like, yeah. Yeah. The film and just all the interviews. Ruth's and general just, presence yeah. in her community. Yeah. That everyone loved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was very sweet. Very good. It was. I love her. Me too. And I her dog notes. I did. I took notes. I'm going to live to 106. It's going to be Ruth's influence. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm going to start being gay and I'm going to get some dogs. I'm going to start being gay. <laughs> I'm going to start being gay. <laughs> 22nd of March, 2020. Today I decided to try being gay. Yeah, I'm going to try being gay. <laughs> See how that pans out. Yeah, if anyone no, no, wants to be pen pals with me and advise me on how to go about this, I would much appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Tune in in two weeks to hear how Eli's going. Uh, I'm going to try really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, study. Good, good, very good. If you liked this episode, you can find us on social media. Even if we go into isolation and we can't record, we'll still be there yeah. on social media and able to be contacted. Yeah, yes. message us. We'll reply. We'll, we'll try real hard to reply. Yeah. <laughs> we know we're bad at replying to messages. Yeah. <laughs> we get there eventually. Yeah. You can also email us directly at careersfact at gmail.com. If you want to support us financially, you can become a patron on our Patreon. And, like, if you're still getting paid, please don't feel pressured. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're yeah. a patron and you can no longer afford to be a patron, we fully understand. Yeah, like, feel free to cancel that immediately. It's fine. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look after yourselves. Yeah, like, 
If you can support us, great. If you can't support us, no stress. The podcast isn't going to go anywhere because people cancel their Patreon donations. Yeah. 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 Like, we very much appreciate and it makes it easier for us, but, like, it's fine. Yeah. 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 If you liked this episode, you can find more of our episodes on Spotify, on Podbean, and on Apple Podcasts. If you find us on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you would rate us and leave us a review to help more people find our content. And Eli's going to read out a few of those reviews now because we haven't done this in a while and they bring us such joy. Hmm. So the first one is from Student Loan Debt from America. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Hope you're doing okay, buddy. And it's called More Than I Expected and it is five stars. And it reads, the amount of research this podcast does is more than I would have expected, especially for one that doesn't seem to be a professional studio and high-funded podcast. We are in Eli's living room surrounded by random blankets and mattresses. Yeah, it's true. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. we And the funding we get is from Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. It's great hearing average people who are enthusiastic about queer history help me learn more. Yay. Yeah, very good. so thank you thank very much you. for that. Thank you. Yeah. Let's the do another one. Other one is from Robin the Queer, as in their name is Robin, not they're doing crime. <laughs> Robin the Queer. <laughs> from, from the gays. <laughs> from Great Britain, and it's entitled Hell Yeah. <laughs> it is also five stars. It reads, I started listening to this podcast a couple of years ago and rediscovered it recently. It's just crazy to me. Like, I know this podcast has been around for a long time. When polite people are like, I've been listening to Queer as Fact for a couple of years. I'm like, you have? What? How? <laughs> and have been listening nonstop for a week. Is it because you can't leave your house? Probably. I'm sorry, Robin. <laughs> I hope you're okay, if that's the case. It's wonderful, educational, funny, moving, and inspirational. The amount of work the host put in is evident, as is their care for their subjects. Hearing other young queer academics talk about stuff is brilliant and inspiring itself. Oh, I forgot this next part was in this review. Also, I love the way Eli says human. <laughs> Eli, you've become known for this. This is like the biggest piece of discourse about this podcast that we've ever generated. It's just (laughs) the way that I pronounce H's on the front of words. Well, now we've answered the question of how you say the name of the letter, which somebody did message us about. (laughs) Did they? Yes. They were like, can I just ask if Eli says H or H? And now we know he says H. Oh, look, if people want to know how I pronounce things, they can message us to them and I'll record myself saying them for us in these trying times. <laughs> anyway, thank you for your support on the pro my voice side of things on which not everyone falls, Robin. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. No, we we got someone, I can't remember if it was in a message or a review, and like absolutely no actual anger at this person who was like, I cannot stand to listen to you say that. (laughs) And I was like, get your own podcast then. That's hilarious. I didn't realize that. Anyway. Anyway, thank you, Robin. Robin is not done. Oh, really? And says, please keep exploring more queer historical topics. It's very much appreciated. So thank you, Robin. Sorry, this has become a thing. Anyway. It's become such a thing. <laughs> it's nice when people call us academics, though. We are. Yeah. yeah. Like, I know we are, but also, like, it's nice. Yeah. There's academics for our lounge rooms. Yeah. Surrounded by blankets. I work for a university. <laughs> oh my god, you do. I guess we're <laughs> People are going to be like, wait a second, earlier in this episode, you said you worked in the healthcare sector. I have two jobs. <laughs> I work in pharmacy and I also work for Melbourne Uni. (laughs) I'm fine. It's all fine. Okay, well, thanks for listening. We respectfully acknowledge the Yalakut Willem clan of the Boon 
and we pay our respect to their elders past and present. We acknowledge and uphold their continuing relationship to the land on which this podcast is recorded. We'll be back on the 15th of April when Irene will be talking to us about 16th century Punjabi poet Shah Hussain. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then.